Wow, what a, a great, great video uh, by our worship production team. If you, maybe you picked up on it, maybe you didn't. That was uh, James who led us in worship today, his voice. And when I first heard it, I did ask myself, Lord, is it you? Uh, that he's got a powerful, awesome voice there. And I'm like, I wish I could download his voice on my Bible app and all that stuff. But uh, what, a, what a great day to kind of kick off uh, what we're going to be doing in the study of the book of Psalms. So if you have your Bible, open those up to Psalms 1. Um, that's where we're going to start. And we're going to be looking at a song today, a song of Psalms. Uh, but... Um, uh, when it comes to uh, music, let me think about right now coming uh, summer season, right? We're all, we're full on in summer season uh, off the, the July 4th weekend. And we've done things like vacations by the beach, we're by the pool, we've done cookouts, family reunions. And I think one of the common denominators at a lot of those places is music. Um, I think we have, uh, we're either got some AirPods in, a Bluetooth speaker, we're streaming in some music to those things because music just makes things better, right? There's something powerful about music, there's something powerful about a song. Um, I have to tell you a funny story. Um, about two weeks ago, my son Rylan, his car, uh, needed to go to the shop to get some brakes and some work done. So I, I said, I'll take it in for you, man. I, I grabbed the car, jumped in it. And uh, jumped in, and I think it was on 96.3. Uh, it's just a kind of a generic station, but jumped in there, turned it on. My son has a car that has a really good sound system, uh, a lot like me when I was 17. All right, so let's just put it that way. So I get in there, and I turn it on, and then boom, Beastie Boys Brass Monkey is playing on the radio. All right, this guy loves Brass Monkey, apparently. So, uh, so we, we, I get in there, and I'm listening to it. And like, I start singing the song and I know every word to it. I, I'm like, immediately I'm 17 again in the back of the car, I got these big speakers and I'm driving down the road as a pastor singing Brass Monkey, all right? And I'm like, a few minutes, I, I'm just kind of checking myself. I'm like, man, what are you doing? Do you know what you're singing? Do you know what Brass Monkey is? Uh, you're not that guy anymore. Uh, I, I kind of had a come to Jesus meeting there. But, but my point is, is in, in, immediately hearing a song, I was transported back to 1986 as a 17-, 16-year-old guy. And it, was, it showed me the power of a song and what it could actually do. Good and both bad as well. We know that for sure. Uh, what we're doing in this series of Psalms is we're going to be looking at songs for life, songs that mark us, that impact us, that help us to remember, to reflect, to uh, just to reflect on in our life, songs. Now, you might be saying right now, hey, hey, look at the world right now and the demonic evil that's happening in our culture right now. I mean, there's division, uh, political parties are fighting. There's the, obviously the injustices of racism and the injustice against good police and uh, there's sickness. There's a lot of things in the world and you're gonna talk about songs today? Like why songs in the middle of this? Well, here's why. Because in this time that we live in right now, the people of God, it is very easy for us to forget God, to lose our joy, our peace for panic and fear to, to really overrun us. Right now, there's great potential for that happen. Where's God? What are you doing in this world? But there is something powerful when God uses a song to unleash 
power to remember who God is, to find peace and comfort and wisdom and find life. There's something about a song that does that with us. And I want to show you how that works out in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 31. There's a conversation that's happening between God and Moses and the people of God, the Israelites, are in the wilderness, all right? We know that they didn't do so good in Wilderness University, but look at with me in Deuteronomy 31 in this conversation, we'll eavesdrop. He says this to Moses, now therefore write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. For when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. And when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness, for it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. For I know what they are inclined to do even today before I have brought them into the land that I swore to give. So Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the people of Israel. So we have the people in wilderness. God is acknowledging, hey, you're not even in there yet. And you're stiff-necked. You're in full rebellion. You're going to forget me. You're going to turn to other gods. And my brilliant plan to bring you back to help you understand that I am still your God. I am still good. In me, you find peace and in comfort and wisdom and all those things. His plan was to give them a song, a song that would not only be for their own souls, but it would be for their families, for the generations that their kids would never, ever forget the song. And that is why we need this right now because in the quirkiness, weirdness, the wilderness of 2020 right now, we, like the Israelites, can do everything that they did. Rebel, forget God, turn to other things, panic, fear, forget God, all of those things. We can do these all the same things. And yet we think, we believe, our hope is as we walk through this series that a song, the Psalms, will be the thing that brings us back and helps us to stay rooted during this time. Now, these are going to be considered, we're calling them songs for life, but the really hope is, is that they will be songs for your family, songs for all generations, but they will be songs for your soul. They would be the songs that, uh, that mark you, like many of the useless songs in my past, I've just mentioned one, that have no bearing on my soul whatsoever. They're just ridiculous, they're useless. Our hope is that this would be a, a time in your life that you would look back and say, I remember when, when a new song and new songs came into my life that we sung, that we memorized, that helped us remember the goodness of the Lord. All right, so the book of Psalms is found in what is called the wisdom literature. Midway through there, uh, Psalms is the, literally the longest a book in the entire Bible. Uh, there's 150 total of them. 119 is the longest chapter in the entire scripture. It is the most quoted book in the New Testament. And it's also something that Jesus quote very often. So it's very important for us to understand the Psalms and also very important how they point to Christ. Now, the, this book, these songs in Psalms, uh, the Jews 
use these as songs for life. These were the songs that they woke up listening to. These were the songs that they listened to as they went to the temple to worship. These were the songs that they, they left the temple and they listened to all of their life. These were not songs that they kind of put over there in a corner and then, and then they, they separated their spiritual songs from their, their, their religious songs. Uh, no, these were songs for life. They imprinted them, they marked them, and they were for their good. So let's look at these things in the hopes that they would do the very same thing for us. Let me pray, and then we'll read through the psalm together. Father, we um, liken ourselves to the Israelites because you tell us that we're like the Israelites. You point out our flaws, our forgetfulness, our drifting, our wandering, our turning to other things. And God, we would be a people that would learn a great, great lesson from our forefathers today. That we would listen to a song. A song that could mark us for our life. A song that can mark our little ones that are here with us today. That they would be songs for our soul. We love you and we depend upon six verses today to do that in us. The mighty voice of you. Do with it as you will in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's look at this here. Psalm 1, verse 1. I love, we have six verses to do, and I just love uh, us pausing and walking through. So Psalm 1, verse 1 says this. Blessed or blessed is the man who, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So let's just pause right here. All right. The first word out of the gate. This is a praise song. The whole thing's a praise song. The very first word, blessed or blessed here, is absolutely important that we understand what this means. 26 times it's used in the Psalms. We have to know what the word blessed means. Uh, I think most of the time when we think about the word blessed, uh, what comes to mind is what we are after we sneeze. That would be one. Another one would be, uh, well, I have a lot of blessings. I have a lot of physical things. I've got a big old house. I've got a lot of nice cars. I've got a big family. It's awesome. My job's paying well. God is just putting a shelter over my home. Man, this is so good. And we, we, we quickly relate physical blessings to the blessed man. And, and is there, is the, are those things considered blessings? Yes, but that is not the word blessed here. That's not what's happening. This idea of blessed is not in the physical realm. It is in the spiritual realm. The word blessed in Hebrew is translated into happy. Happy. This is the same word that Jesus used a lot in the uh, Gospel of Matthew in his Sermon on the Mount. Blessed is the man and goes on and on and on. He's talking about someone who's happy. Happy is the man. So let's think about happiness for just a moment that will set us up here because everyone here in the room right now, I don't know if you're a follower of Jesus or not. If you're watching online, I don't know if you are. But what's safe to say is that we all want happiness. Every single person on the face of the earth wants happiness. No one says, I'm aiming for misery, right? Then is where we find the happiness. The source of happiness matters 
and immensely here, right? Uh, we often hear things like happiness is your own truth. I think Pharrell said that in his song. Uh, you can clap your hands and happiness is your truth, meaning you just get to define what your truth is. You get to make it up. And then what do people do in the pursuit of happiness? They look in things in the physical realm. That relationship, if I could just get a boyfriend or a girlfriend, man, I'd be happy. If I could just get a husband or a wife, I'll be happy. If my kids would just listen and love Jesus, I'll be happy. If I could just land that job, I've been really working hard to get that, that career path. I'm working hard. If I could just get that house, if I could just get the pool that my neighbors have, man, if I could just get these things, then I will be happy. Listen, none of those things will ever, ever make you happy. They will only leave you empty. That is a Wikipedia happiness that will fail you every time. You won't find happiness in a weekend, a vacation. You won't find it in a bottle and you won't find it in an hour at your local bar. No place, none of those places will you ever find true happiness. So where is this happiness found? Well, the psalmist is saying this. Happiness is found in God. The happy man is happy in God. You understand how that works? It's a spiritual thing that the man who knows God, he has a relationship with God. He has God. He has salvation. He has the forgiveness of sins. He has protection, provision, care, comfort, all things that God is and who he gives and what he gives to us. That man is the happy man. Now, you might have heard, um, maybe even church, that God has no interest at all in your happiness. He just wants you to be holy. Be miserable and just be holy. Like you could potentially think that God's not caring about your happiness. He wants your joy and that nothing could be further from the truth. God is serious about your happiness. But his seriousness is you finding happiness in him and him alone. Because apart from him, you will never be happy. Listen to this quote from C.S. Lewis. God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. Church, happiness is only found when you are happy in God. That's the man that we're going to read about here in Psalm 1, the man who's happy in God. Right? That's what we're going to look at. So now that we've defined what it is, uh, what the psalmist is going to do next, he's going to show us where it's not found or the things that will steal your happiness with God. All right? These are threats to you. They will steal your happiness to God and all those things. And he rolls these things out. And let's look at it in verse, the rest of verse 1. Happy is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. He does not walk in the way of sinners. And he does not sit in the seat of scoffers. Now, I want to show you a pattern here. 
all right? Don't just read over the text. There's a pattern here that shows a progression of sin. And what the psalmist is saying that if you begin to put yourself around people like this, listening to people like this, doing what they do, you will lose your happiness to God. But there's a, there's a pattern that happens here. First is walking in the counsel of the wicked. This man begins to uh, surround himself or her uh, around worldly people, worldly influences and influencers, listening to family, to friends, to people who don't know Jesus, but they're giving them counsel, bad advice. They're looking at silly self-help books at the bookstore. They're reading non-spiritual uh, quotes on Facebook and Pinterest. They're just, man, they're just all over the place. They're literally hearing the counsel of the wicked. It's only words at this point, though. It's just meditation. It's just, they're just considering these things. So there's the first great danger that you're around so many people that you're listening to the counsel of the wicked. And it's just words right now. But then it progresses to the next level, which is what? Standing in the way of sinners. So now you were walking. Now you're just standing right there with the sinners. You're standing in the same way that they do. You've listened to them. You've pondered what they say and their counsel, their advice. It starts to sound good to you what they say. Leave your husband, leave your wife. God wants you to be happy. And just tells you, start all this horrible counsel. It's wicked. And you're like, this sounds pretty good. In fact, I think I'm going to listen to it. In fact, I think I'm going to start doing these things. And before you know it, you're standing in the way of sinners. And you're loving it. You're liking it. Tastes good. Feels good. But it doesn't stop there. If it continues to progress, the final place you will find yourself is sitting in the seat of scoffers. You know what a scoffer is? We, we don't use that word. A scoffer is someone who mocks God. He's mocking God. Where's your God? I believe in God. Where's your God at right now? I don't believe in God. I disbelieve there is a God. And if you're not careful, if you're walking in the counsel of the wicked, and then you begin to stand with sinners before long, you too will become a scoffer of God, which is basically a functional atheist. Deny all existence, blasphemy against God. There is such danger here, church. A lot of danger that we would be warning. These are the things that will steal your ultimate happiness in God. So don't think that this can't happen to you. It can happen to any of us, including myself. You don't think it won't happen to you because you might look up one day and you might have followed someone in your life and you end up in a place that you never thought that you would be. And there could be lifelong repercussions of those things. Your mama said, lay with dogs, you get fleas, right? Paul would say, bad company ruins good morals, guilty by association. Don't get caught there because it's way easy for people to pull you down and you pull them up. If I were to stand here today and I extend my hand down and I would ask that one of you come up and you 
you, you reach your hand up, it's so much easier for you to pull me down than it is for me to pull you up. And so it is the way of the people of God. If we're not careful, walking the counsel, it starts there, listening to worldly counsel, then we'll find ourselves standing and then sitting with scoffers. These are the things that will steal your happiness and God. So now that we've seen where it's not found, now let's see where it is found. All right, that's what the psalmist goes on to two. Let's find it. This is the opposite. Number two, the happy man, here's what he does. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. So in verse 2-3, I want you to see something. As in verse 1, we saw the progression of sin, right? The worsening of sin. Here in the righteous man, we see a progression of holiness that actually begins to happen. So what's the progression? What's the first thing that the man who's happy in God does? He delights. Specifically, he delights in the law of the Lord. But delight he's delighting in the law of the Lord. What does delight mean? It's a good word. What what does delighting mean? Think about a, a moment in your life where there was this supreme pleasure, satisfaction, and you kind of thought, Everything is right in the world, right here at this one moment. It just feels good. It's just right. It could be a birth of a baby. It could be a wedding. It could be a moment where your kid actually does what you've taught them to do, right? This Jesus moment thing. But everything's right in the world. It's called delight, and it's just ultimate satisfaction, ultimate pleasure. It's just all good, right? The happy man in God gets that feeling when he looks at the law of God. Think about that. He he looks at this and he has all of those emotive feelings. Everything's right. Everything's good in the world. This is true. This is right. It gives me great comfort and, and joy. That's what he does when he looks at the law. Now, specifically when he says law of the Lord, he's talking about the Pentateuch, Torah. He's he's talking about the first five books of the Bible, but he looks at it. It's law. And he delights in the law. There is a marker of salvation right there. If you look at the Bible and you think that his commands and his law is burdensome, that it's a threat to your life, a threat to your joy, and a threat to your happiness, then there's a good, good chance that you do not know the God of the Bible and you don't know Jesus as Lord. Because the mark of a saved one says, this is good, this is right. It's every good command of God in this Bible is meant to secure my ultimate happiness. And I know that. I'm not perfectly obeying it, but I love it. It's not a burden. And when I read it, it gives me delight. And it should give you a delight if you are in Christ Jesus. 
Now, I want to I wanna read to you a quote from R.C. Sproul here. He says this, The Word of God can be in the mind, but it can not ever be in the heart without first being in the mind. So it can exist here and it not be here. But it will never get here. It will never be a delight here if it's not first here. And the only way it gets here is if you pick up your Bible and I pick up my Bible and actually read it. You can't manufacture delight. Notice how the, the wicked man was doing things, walking, standing, sitting. And now the righteous man, he's not doing anything, right? He just delights. He has an internal transformation that has occurred and he delights and he loves his Bible. Church, that that has to be a a challenge to us because the, the heart can't love what the mind does not know. And if we say, yes, amen, R.C., I love what you preach. I love the Bible and I love everything in it. I believe it's good and wise and and for me. If I say all of those things, but listen, if you never ever open it up for yourself, your belief of that has to come into question. It has to come into question. Now, the reality for most of us is that we would not say, Maybe some of you, generally, you understand what delighting in the law of the Lord means. You're just like, I love to read. It gives me life. I delight in it. Some of you might actually love the Lord, and you've not found the place of delight yet. You're more in the do section. You do, but you don't delight. And you think, I don't read my Bible because they tell me to do it at church, and it's in the sermon, and I know God loves it when people read their Bible. Listen, that's not the place you want to be. You have to get to the place where delight consumes you. So here's how you get it, all right? You start with a honest confession before the Lord. God, I don't have this delight. I look at it as obligatory. It's task. It's burdensome to me. I don't want that. It's not right. I've heard the word of God preach, and I must respond to it. I confess it's not a delight in my heart. I repent of these things, God. Now, God, would you give me an appetite to delight in the Bible? Give me the appetite. I don't have it. I need you to give it to me. And by his grace and by his will, he will give it to you. And once he gives you the appetite, he gives you taste buds for the word, you will begin to see that you will develop taste buds for the bread of life, the word of God. And just a silly illustration there. I mean, I was a guy who hated seafood uh, most of my life. Didn't like to eat seafood, didn't want to eat seafood. But the, the reality is I'd never really tried a lot of seafood. Like I hadn't consumed a ton of seafood. And then I said, I don't like seafood. I was a guy who I really just didn't try it. But then what happened a couple of years ago, I went down to, to Florida and someone, a crab claw. So I grabbed the crab claw, I'm eating and I'm, I'm like, hey, this crab claw is pretty dang good. I like this. I begin to eat it and develop an appetite and a taste for it. I have taste buds for seafood now. Thus, it is the way of God. If you begin to nibble on the word of God, he will give you taste buds 
so that you would see and taste that the Lord is good. Begin by little bits and pieces, right? And that your appetite would grow to a huge and satiable appetite that will actually never be quenched on this side of eternity. So pray to the Lord he would give you new taste buds so that you could delight in the Lord. All right, so now let's continue with the progression. First, the man delights in the law. Now he begins to uh, dwell on it. He begins to meditate on it all the day long, night and day. So this man, this happy man in God, has not done his quiet time over in the corner and kind of put God in the box and go back in your corner, God. Now let me go do my life and I work and marriage and all my friends and, and keep the scripture over there. That's not what the happy man does. The happy man takes the scripture that he reads with him every day, all day. It's on his mind. It's on his heart. He's thinking. He's pondering about the word. Right? He takes it to work with him. He, he takes it to how he influences his, uh, his marriage, how he talks to his wife, how the wife talks to the husband, how they raise their children, how they spend money. The word of God is saturated in the brain. It's been delighted, and now it's informing how the person lives their life. Meditating on the word of God is a good and right thing all day long. You can't meditate on it, though, and think about the scriptures if you don't know the scriptures. So you got to read, delight, then meditate on it. Then the progression goes to the next thing. This man who is delighting in the law, he dwells in it, then he is compared to a tree who's planted by streams of water. Number one, a tree doesn't plant itself. A tree is planted by someone. This tree that he's experiencing and describing here has been planted by the sovereign gardener who is God himself. He puts you down, he plants you as a tree right next to streams. Not a stagnant pond that has no life, but streams of water. Life. You're dwelling in the word uh, richly, you're delighting in it, now you're a tree, and now you what? You have fruit on your tree. You're experiencing life, you're telling other people about the scripture that you've been delighting in and dwelling in. Fruit added to your tree, right? That tree doesn't, doesn't get washed away. It's rooted. It's good. And then what happens? What's the next progression? It says that the righteous, this guy, the happy in God, he prospers in everything that he does. Now, let's hold on for just a minute because that sounds a little bit naive. Everything? That the righteous man does, prospers, I think it'd be safe to say we live in a world where it seems like the wicked are prospering, right? They're the ones who seem to be prospering. So what does the psalmist mean when he says everything that we do, when we delight in the law, that we dwell in it, will ultimately prosper? Here's what he means. Every single obedient thing that you do according to the scripture will eventually prosper either in this life or the next. You might literally see the physical prosperity come out in the fruit of helping to show someone where life is found in Christ. You might see uh, your child growing in the knowledge of the Lord. You might see someone dis you're discipling growing. You might see that kind of true prosperity. However, you may not. But rest be assured of this, that in future glory, on the other side of eternity, 
God will take every single good deed that you did, every single command that you were obedient to, and you will prosper because of it. All right, that's what the psalmist means about prosperity here. Now, let's move on to verse 4. And he says this, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So the psalmist here makes this abrupt shift back to the guy in verse 1, the guy who's, who's walking in the counsel of the wicked, he's standing with sinners, he's sitting with scoffers, and that guy will not stand in the day of judgment. He's like a chaff in the wind. A chaff in the wind basically means useless. It's torn apart. It's useless for the task. It's useless to God, and it will not stand in the day of judgment. And it will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. It'll watch the righteous inherit the kingdom of God, but it won't be with them. Now, Psalm 1, really the entire book of Psalms, as well as the entire totality of the scriptures, continue to point to us that there's only two types of people in humanity. All of mankind is classified into one of two categories. Last week I said it was in Adam or in Christ. There's different words the Bible uses. Here, we learn that every single person on the face of the earth is in one of two categories. They're either in the wicked category, the sinners, or they are in the righteous. The wicked or the righteous. There's no other classifications of people, political party, race, creed, color, generation, nothing. All of those break down on judgment day. There are the sinners and there is the righteous. So who determines that? Who determines which classification of people are where? The righteous and the sinners. Who does? Verse Six, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Verse 6 just told us that the Lord knows, that the Lord knows the way of the righteous. He has determined and charted their course, their way. He also knows the way of the wicked, and they will perish. Why does the Lord want us to know that he's the one? Right here, why? Why is it that he must get all of the glory for who is righteous? Because he knew we would try to be glory thieves and take it from him. God is the reason who all people who are considered righteous, he's opened their eyes, he's drawn them to Jesus, and apart from that, no one's righteous God chose us in righteousness. He inclined our hearts to choose it. And he is governed and he's guiding all of the pathways of the righteous. It, God gets all of the glory and the credit for all of these things. However, the perish, the, the wicked, they will perish and it will be their guilt on them. They will be held responsible for their walking in the counsel of the wicked, for their standing with sinners, and for their sitting in the seat of scoffers. So up to this point, let me see if I can point this to Christ. 
okay? Because I need to do that. We always need to do that. How does Psalm 1 point us to Christ? Up to right now, you might have heard this. Someone might be determining this. Okay, I want to be the righteous one, not the wicked. If I could just don't do these things and do these things, then I'll be righteous. If I could just... If I don't listen to the counsel of the wicked, as long as I don't stand with sinners and as long as I don't sit down with scoffers, but if I delight in the law of the Lord, if I begin to dwell on it, and if I become like this tree and fruit, if I just do these things, then maybe God will call me righteous. That is not the Bible. The Bible speaks uh, and, and contradicts and rebukes a salvation by works. So you can't do all of those things and don't do those things and then in the hopes of being considered righteous. You cannot do it. I cannot be considered righteous on my own. We are utterly dependent upon the righteousness of another person to impute it upon us. And here is where Psalm 1 points to Jesus Christ who is the only one who never listened to the counsel of the wicked. He never, ever, ever stood in the same way as sinners, and he never scoffed at God. He delighted in his Father's word. He dwelt on it. He meditated on it every day and every night. He was a strong tree. He bore fruit on the earth, and he did all of that and all of his life for perfection. And then he ran to a cross. Then he was crucified. He bled his blood on the cross so that every single person who would believe upon the cross, he would take his righteousness. And he, over here, we are, the, we are the wicked. We are the sinners. We are the scoffers. And he took it and he gave us the righteousness of God. And took away all of our wickedness, our sinful rebellion, and our scoffing at God. That is the most beautiful exchange that's ever happened in this world. The righteousness of God imputed to all of those who would believe in Jesus Christ. Have you ever done that in your life? My, my heart is for you to be happy in God. Ultimately, happy in God to experience life abundant, all these things. But you cannot experience happiness in God without God. And you will never have God if you do not trust and believe and follow Jesus Christ. So if you've not done that online here in the room, you might be the one who's toiling and laboring to try to not do all those sinful, wicked things, but you're trying to do good things in the hopes that one day he would say, righteous, come on in. Listen, if that's you, stop today. Bow down, surrender, and admit you'd never be able to do those things, and you're gonna trust in the one and only person, Jesus Christ, who can give you the righteousness of God. You can do that a couple of ways. You can stick around after service today. Come talk to us. We'll be out front under the canopy. You can text the word Jesus to a number that should pop up on your screen. We'll reply to you. We'll have a conversation with you about that. Um, we'd love to meet up with you this week. We would love to do that with you today to help you find the true happiness in God. Now, 
Let me also leave the, if you are someone who has trusted in Christ, I want to read to you something and uh, reminding you of where your happiness is found. This is a, a, just a piece, a snippet from Isaac Watts' hymn. And it says this, Alas, indeed, my Savior bleed and did not sovereign die. Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burdens of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight, and now I'm happy all the day. Church, you can't find happiness apart from God. So as I fight for your happiness, as God's serious about your happiness, Listen to the threats and the things in your life that try to take it away from you. Listening to the counsel of the world right now. It's wicked. Don't listen to it. If you're standing right now today in the way of sinners, you're doing what they're doing. It looks good to you. You're even practicing it. Turn away. Don't try to say, well, I'm evangelizing with those sinners. That typically doesn't happen. We should engage the lost and simple. Yeah, but if you find yourself walking in the way of sinners, get out. Run the other way today before you find yourself in a very destructive path where you might be sitting with scoffers, mocking God, and the presence of God will leave you. Please don't do that. Delight in the law. Start to read your Bible. Ask God to give you that insatiable appetite that you would and I would taste and see that the Lord is good. The band is going to come up. And I want to, I wanna, as we fight for your happiness, God's serious about your happiness. As we fight for it, one of the things that our worship programming team has done to help us fight is they have created a playlist on Spotify and I, um, Apple Music, it'll be on your app. It's probably already up. You can download it. And the hope is, as I said early on today, that these songs would be new songs for your life. Songs that you would sing with your kids. Songs that you would memorize. And they would be songs for your soul. So please use these resources uh, to help us sing a new song. Um, we are the people of God. Let's stand and let's sing to Jesus, that Lord, and confess that we need him.